Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Pakistan Cricket Podcast. Episode 12. Review of the Pakistan Tour of Sri Lanka with Andrew Fidel Fernando. So I'm lucky to have interviewed Fidel, one of my favorite cricket writers, last week on August 3rd. Fidel writes for ESPN Crick Info and is also the author of a wonderful book entitled Upon a Sleepless Isle. He covered the Pakistan Tour of Sri Lanka and joined me from Colombo. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, Fidel. Um, how are you doing? Have you recovered from covering the series? Yeah, I mean, I have. Yes, uh, I mean, it's been it was four weeks essentially in goal that you had the Australia series mm-hmm. and then the Pakistan series, pretty much back to back. It was essentially a format series, all played in goal. So I spent a lot of time at essentially my favorite venue in the world. You know, it's uh, it's. It's a pretty spectacular place, and mm-hmm. probably if I had to spend four weeks covering cricket anywhere, that's the place I'd, I'd pick. But four weeks covering cricket anywhere is kind of <laughs> a, a bit, a, in the same place is a little bit of a trial. Uh, I did get to the end and think, okay, I, I wouldn't mind not seeing ball for a little while, now. <laughs> um, as much as I love it. Uh, but yeah, it's it was it was good. I, I they were both interesting series, four result matches. That's true. Uh, drawn yeah. Test match, both both which had interesting subplots, and you know you had Shafi getting a great uh, fourth innings, uh, and and leading Pakistan to an incredible victory. Sri Lanka bouncing back in that series, but in the previous series also you had probably the first Test was the most boring because Sri Lanka kind of fell apart. Yeah. And Australia trounced, but then Sri Lanka came back in the second one, and so uh, three of the four Tests were quite interesting. So, um, so you know you can't really ask for too much more than that. It was it was a lot of fun. Oh, that's true. I see. Looking at it from Pakistani eyes, I was just focusing on these two tests, like centrally. I did I did check the scores for the other series, but yeah, for you those were all four jammed yeah. together. So you're seeing them all in relation to one another, and um, and we'll get to the Pakistan series in a bit. Um, uh, so I sent you the list of questions as you've seen the series. We only talk about towards the end. Uh, I'm asking other. We're gonna get there in a meandering way. Yeah. Um, I was hoping if, you know, we could begin by you talking about how you got into writing about cricket. Um, you know, what was your journey towards this career? Yeah, I mean, it's an unusual path. I think lots of people in cricket info and just cricket writing in general have taken strange paths to it. I uh, was studying in New Zealand at the time. I mean, I used to live in New Zealand. Uh, and I, uh, yeah, I just started writing for my university magazine as a hobby. I always enjoyed writing. I never thought it was you know, something I could make a profession out of. Uh, but then I wrote some stuff and then Crickinfo was looking for um, you know, um, uh, a fan following kind of thing. I think at the mm-hmm. time they used to have these kind of fans write up matches that they were at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd written some bits for cricket and I just mailed them out of the blue saying, hey, you know, this is the stuff that I've written on cricket. Um, would you have me on as part of, they had page two at the time, which is like this humor part of the website 
And then they seemed to think I was okay. And then I got a mail back like a month or two after that. Uh, and then I wrote for them and they liked it. And then there was an opportunity to cover test matches in New Zealand. And I kind of begged for it. And then basically I just begged my way to a job. <laughs> I quick info. That's essentially what happened. You know? Over the course of about two years, I uh, I just uh, I just kept mailing them until they until they broke them down, um, and that was that was essentially the, the way to get into cricket. I mean, I think at some point during that journey, I figured out, look, writing about cricket would be an incredible thing to do full time and to get mm-hmm. paid for it. And so I think it was when I was covering my very first Test match that I had that revelation. I'm like, wow, this could be a career. This is um, I had never even contemplated becoming a writer at that point. I was studying uh, history, which oh, uh, cool. uh, at university and uh, philosophy and theology at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, so essentially, things that would either lead me to an academic career or to not a, you know something that wasn't going to be a real job. Um, <laughs> and so, and so, I was you know getting paid for something that early on, getting paid for something that I loved, you know, at a tw- as a twenty year old or a nineteen year old. I can't remember. It was, it was around that age. Uh, I was like, wow, this is, this is, this really could be a career. And then I pursued that and uh, much to the chagrin of various cricket for editors who I used to send these long pleading emails to. <laughs> uh, and, and eventually they were stupid enough to let me, let me work there. I'm glad they did. I'm actually kind of curious. Do you, has the, making cricket work ruined the cricket as fun for you? Because your writing seems to still bring the joy. Like, it still seems like you you enjoy cricket even while you're covering it as work. But for some people, I know it can be quite difficult. Yeah, I mean, I think there are... It's definitely... I probably don't watch as much cricket as I used to or follow it as... Because it's become... Because it's become kind of work and, like, I can't... I can't have cricket take over my entire life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and some people can, some people love it. I, that's great. I applaud them for it. That's, uh, but I have other interests and I feel like I need to have a set of interests rather than one interest. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I go to a cricket match and I get to cover one, that is still a lot of fun. For me. Like I, all, the, all the little, I, of course, keep in touch with everything else that's happening in the cricket world. But um, when I get to be at a match or when I get to cover a match, and all the all the funny little subplots, um, all the things that make you laugh or kind of make you gasp, all of those things still, I still, you know, it still has that magic for me. And part of retaining that magic is probably making sure that cricket, is, you know, takes over only a certain part of my life uh, so that it continues to have that magic. So, yeah, it, it does. It, it very much is a job that I still love and enjoy. So the previous two answers are, kind of answered my next question but I st- I'm still curious to hear you what you have to say about this but um so you're not just a cricket writer you also write travelogues I bought the book for my dad and he loved it um and you tweet quite regularly about Sri Lankan politics uh and perhaps maybe not as well known for some people you also did some great podcasts with Shamara Vetumani on uh, Sri Lankan history um Sri Lanka, the colonial history of Sri Lanka um, I'm curious if these, you know, seemingly disparate projects and interests in cricket, history and politics, you know, inform one another. Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely do. I think the history and politics definitely inform my cricket writing uh, because, you know, there are lots of very, very good cricket writers who I love to read, who focus kind of, who have a, uh, who have kind of a, a microscopic kind of view of, of cricket and they, 
really get into ins and outs of the game and you know mm-hmm. how the, the kind of molecular de- granular details um whereas i think i'm i much prefer being a big picture kind of person you know how does cricket fit into the lives of people who watch it how mm-hmm. does cricket fit into the politics of the place where it's played um into the history of you know how does history inform cricket you know being south asian cricket fans this is a colonial sport uh that and there are all sorts of contentions there are all sorts of um there are all sorts of resentments at times mm-hmm. there's um there's sub there's kind of subtext to everything that comes with being uh being kind of a once subjugated uh once subjugated nation or 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 kind of region um that now kind of finds itself that that finds kind of uh, uh, an almost liberating expression mm-hmm. within this from this you know with the sport and i think that's fascinating to me and there's all things all sorts of things that could write about that you know and uh so for that reason i think for sure the, the history uh informs or kind of my history the, the history nerd in me informs the cricket writer in me um and yeah and also you know politics obviously plays a plays a big part and i'm i'm grateful to to write for publications that allow me to kind of explore those things side by side and not shy away from difficult stories that are maybe kind of uncomfortable um you know i've been you know to to kind of view cricketers and their and you know obviously in sri lanka as it is, as is the case in most of south asia cricket is very political Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it it doesn't to me i it doesn't make sense to write about cricket and not write about politics at the same time because those two things are so intertwined mm-hmm. and play such a big role you know politics often changes the way that cricket is played and cricket often changes the way that politics is done and it, it to me you're ignoring a whole big story if you're not going to talk about the politics of it all mm-hmm. so um so yeah that is why i kind of have gone that way and i mean politics and, and cricket are two huge interests um i write lots of political commentary now especially since the start of this uh recent economic and political crisis um and and i you know recently for example in that australian series sri lanka's kind of huge protest day on july 9th mm-hmm. happened while that test was going on and um on that day i kind of went and joined the protesters as they took over ball forts and mm-hmm. was going on in the background and i was able to write a piece that was that had one line about the cricket and the rest was about what was going on on that mm-hmm. day and so um it was uh, yeah it was a, it's you know those all those things are so interlinked in our part of the world that it seems inescapable to me that i would need to know a little bit about politics and history but of course like my being from my kind of background um, and my kind of things that I've studied and learned and with my interests um I was always going to become this kind of cricket writer and I had by the way this is not in any way to downplay or to to say that any other kind of of, of cricket writing is you know not I love absolutely the, the nerdy yeah yeah uh, yeah like bad kind of get down to the details kind of pieces about cricket as well um and i will read those any day it's just this that's just not the kind of writer i am 
Yeah, that really comes through, uh, you know, in your writing um, as a reader. Um, and you're absolutely right. I think and Crickenfell is an interesting place because it, you know, it has people with literary flair. It's got like people who are interested in history and politics, and it's also got the stats nerds all sort of in one space, which is, you know, what makes it a, you know, a great publication. I think. Um, now, something I've been meaning to ask you about is your interest in and curiosity about Pakistani cricket. Uh, I seem to remember reading an article, or maybe it was an interview, actually, um, in which you spoke about the Pakistani cricket team being, you know, one of your favorites, uh, along obviously yeah. Sri Lanka being the main one growing up. Um, could you talk about, you know, your first memories of Pakistani cricketers um, and, you know, what attracted you to Pakistani cricket? Um, I think, I think it was Pakistani cricket is is genuine, is like, is magnetic. It's kind of, it's almost objective fact that there is a, a magnetism <laughs> in Pakistani cricket that almost anybody who watches it cannot ignore, right? Uh, and I've always been uh, attracted to things that are, that that have high ceilings, I think, you know. Even players that I like currently are the players who are not necessarily consistent, but will once in a while do something like just spectacularly out of this world, right? Oh, then Pakistani um, players are your team, yeah. yeah. Pakistan is your team. So, yeah. so I think that aspect of Pakistani cricket where they were just, um, they would, and also, you know, not being a Pakistani myself, the lows didn't affect, you know? Mm. You know, when they when they would lose a match from, a, from, a, from like an unlosable situation, you're like, ah, whatever. So it's not as if I was right. <laughs> I wasn't writing that part of the roller coaster with you guys. That's but the highs, okay, the yeah. highs definitely I was on. I was like, that is crazy that they just pulled that off. So I think that is what uh, attracted me to Pakistani cricket. And and also like some, for being from Sri Lanka, like fast bowling is not something that we have specialized, that Sri Lanka has specialized in. Uh, and it was nice to see another South Asian team. Now, of, of course, India has come online mm-hmm. on that front mm-hmm. and Bangladesh to an extent too. But, you know, for so long, Pakistan was the only South Asian team, you know, holding the flag for fast bowling and holding it to an incredibly high standard. Mm-hmm. So, you know, watching the Wakar Yorkers that would, you know, swerve in so late, that's just, I mean, there is nothing more box office in cricket than that stuff. So, um yeah, those are the reasons I was I was I've always been attracted to Pakistani, mainly for the bowling, I have mm-hmm. to say, mainly for the bowling. Mm-hmm. Um and I think even the spinners, you know, I know the Pakistani spinners don't get as much, but I love watching Sakhle Mushtaq bowl. Yeah. Uh and, and Mushtaq Muhammad as well. Um and yeah, it was it was kind of that late nineties era of Pakistan were were kind of at their swingiest in a way. <laughs> and uh, and that was that was kind of where I where I fell in love with them. Well, sticking to friendship between Sri Lanka and Pakistan, <laughs> um, I was you know there seems to be like a general solid genuine solidarity between Pakistan and Sri Lankan cricket over the years. Um, could you talk about what the history of that is from your from your perspective? Uh, you know, I don't know much about this, but my guess is the origins are with Pakistan supporting the Sri Lankan case and. There being general Asian solidarity in the nineties, uh, I'm curious what your perspective on this is. Yeah, I think I mean it, it, I think most of, mostly it comes down to Lahore getting behind the Sri Lankan cricket team in the World Cup. Okay, and that is kind of we had all these images coming to Sri Lanka of like Lahore's, you know, where, you know, putting Sri Lankan flags on their hawker stalls or 
you know, waving Sri Lankan flags as they rode, rode into the stadium, you know, on their bikes, their motorbikes. And, uh, and then, of course, Gaddafi Stadium was like fully decked out. Mm -hmm. uh, well, not fully, but mostly decked out in kind of Sri Lankan, with, with Sri Lankan flags and support for Sri Lankans. Uh, it was, uh, I think that was when, uh, at least I became aware of this, uh, this solidarity. And then, you know, over the years, there's been a lot of really great series and, and never a lot of animosity between the players, you know, like there's always been kind of camaraderie between the players, which of course fans pick up on. Mm. Um, and then also the, this kind of shared, this kind of shared, uh, history where, you know, for a long time, Sri Lanka was a difficult place to tour because of the civil war and Pakistan kind of seemed to at least like push to, to, to make sure that Sri Lanka tours happened. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when Pakistan went through the same thing until 2009, Sri Lanka mm -hmm. were the team who kind of yeah. did that. And then even when 2009, the, the attack happened on the Sri Lanka players, Sri Lanka kind of understood why that would be because there's you know, mm -hmm. the, the 27 year civil war um, in Sri, within Sri Lanka where you know, uh, t tests had to be cancelled because of, of the war so it was, there's kind of both a shared experience mm -hmm. and a kind of mutual, mutual appreciation I think um, and I think Sri Lanka fans and, and Pakistan fans of the, all the fans in the world I think those the, the groups that get on the most Generally, just when I've seen them in either in Australia or New Zealand or mm -hmm. UK, uh, it's always a party. Like it, they always, you know, link <laughs> up and they. There's just there's just no bad feeling between them. You know, there's no there is they they play a lot of cricket against each other. But um, you know, recently even even this recent series that that happened here, yeah, um, the Sri Lankan players were joking around the Pakistan players all the time on the field. You know, mm -hmm. it's not something that they do with every team. It's just, it's just, you know, there is something, there is something there that isn't there with most other teams. Mm -hmm. um, also, you know, like I think now India players just live such a different experience from everybody else. Perhaps at some point, India players were were also players that you know, Sri Lanka players would, yeah, you know. But but now, just India players are just superstars before they even make the team. It's mm -hmm. just. It's such a different experience for them, uh, and uh, and so it's. Uh, I think, th yeah, this was this is this is always. I mean, a test series between these two countries is always fun to watch. There's always little sub kind of stories going on. Dimuth Karnataka was posting. I think yeah. he did like two or three posts about um, how you know how you know the Pakistan team were friends and all that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was very cute. I found it very. Cute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think. All of that plays into it. Um, there is, there, there are genuine kind of, yeah, bonhomie there. Yeah, that's that's heartwarming in you know this age of incredible yeah. toxicity in the fan culture. So that's across the board, from boards to players to to fans. Um, you know, sticking to the the history of Pakistani and Sri Lankan cricket, I'm curious about. You know, this is putting you on the spot a little bit, um, but I'm wondering, if, you know, what are the best matches or series that come to mind? Um, it's a hard question. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, I've covered a few really good Pakistan Sri Lanka series. Um, from my first Pakistan Sri Lanka series was uh, 2013, 2014, those, those three tests. Um, 
the first one started in Abu Dhabi on on New Year's Eve for some reason. They played a, a match <laughs> over New Year's Eve. Uh, and, you know, uh, Sri Lanka drew the first one uh, after having been behind. Then they won the second one in Dubai. And the third one in Sharjah was that match where Sri Lanka were playing for a draw from you know the second day onwards and playing incredibly boring cricket in Pakistan. Good for them, like chased down 300 on the last day uh, in in like 51 orders or 52 orders, something mm-hmm. like that, something crazy. Azhar Ali scored, yeah. <laughs> yeah, score was like the star of a rapid chase, which is in Pakistan, itself incredible. Pre-basketball uh, Pakistan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pakistan basketballing back in 2014. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that. That was a great series. Um, and then I, you know, there there are lots of uh, probably the one that I remember the most is in Gaul in 2014. Uh, they Pakistan were it, it got to the fourth day, and I think Kumar Sangakkara scored a 200 or very nearly a 200, and Yunus Khan had scored 190-odd. And it looked like, you know, the first innings hadn't ended by the end of the fourth day. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then Pakistan were put into bat. You know, Pakistan went into bat for the third innings at the start of the fifth day, looking for all money that was going to be a draw. Rangan Herod rips through them. I remember that. And, yeah. And uh, suddenly, Sri Lanka had to go out to get 90-odd off, I think it was 20 overs. And this was also Mahela Jawadhan's last test in ball. It was the last test series. Oh. So there were all these Mahela Jawadhan kind of like cutouts all over the fort and the ground. And people were kind of, ball, ball locals were coming out to see Mahela bat for the last time. And of course, he came out to open the innings because he was uh, more aggressive than the other. I think he might have been Kaushal Silva at that point. Um, who, you know, because they need to get runs quickly, mm-hmm. and uh, and of course they, you know, they started going and they were going pretty well, and then this huge kind of like incredible apocalyptic dark cloud parked itself over the stadium when they were about twenty five thirty runs away, and it was just like when is this thing going to unload? Uh, when is it going to unleash? And by this stage, it was a if I remember, it was like a Friday after. It might have been a I can't remember what kind of day it was, but uh, there was uh, it was an afternoon and everyone had shut up their shops in Gaul. Gaul, you know, being one of the most accessible grounds in the world, right in the middle of town. Mm-hmm. Uh, people just people flooded the stands, and then the whole fort ramparts was also crowded. Right, mm-hmm. you know, probably about five six thousand people up there, and uh, and yeah, it was just this crazy kind of like really dark because it was late and late on the fifth day um this huge dark cloud above and it was in it was in july august so the the, the ocean was going crazy and it was just like when is this torrent going to unleash and then i think angela matthews and uh, and Kitran who was playing for Sri Lanka at the time uh were, were batting were playing kind of i think junaid khan and mohammed talha were, were the fast bowlers and they were just like, uh, you know, the Pakistani fastballers were bouncing them, hoping that, you know, uh, they wouldn't take on the short ball, but they were hooking them into the. And it was just this manic, it was just this <laughs> manic finish where they were trying to hit a six off many, as many balls as possible. And literally, you know, uh, Angela Matthews hits the winning run, 
and starts taking off for the single. And then the whole heavens unleash. And before he finishes the single, he's pretty much soaked, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that wow. was, I think that is, that is probably the most memorable test match finish I'll ever see. And, you know, there were all these people in the, on the banks and on the fort. And everyone was, I just remember everyone just dancing for like half an hour afterwards. <laughs> Uh, because it was such a, and I think that's one of the most unforgettable. Uh, maybe I, I think it's probably the most unforgettable test match finish I'll ever, I'll ever have. While the match was boring for four days, just that last that last half hour was just just packed in uh, all the entertainment in yeah, one day. Yeah, spectacular. Um, and so yeah, I think I think that's something I remember. But beyond that, I think uh, like historically. Uh, there are all sorts of like I remember like there's one there's one match when uh, in the eighties that I read about where Imran Khan who's played at Columbia Cricket Club probably one of the only tests he played there where Imran Khan and and the Sri Lankan captain at the time had a huge kind of uh, back and forth and then there's uh, there was also Arjun Ranthunga batting I think it was in Rawalpindi where he'd been hit on the hand and broken his hand. Uh, and he had to he had to come over he had to come out uh, late in the late in the match to kind of like help the tail home uh, basically with like a mattress like a small mattress taped around his broken hand <laughs> um, yeah so there's there's a lot of great Pakistan Sri Lanka history uh, and of course like the recent chasers you know uh, Yunus Khan chasing down Yunus Khan and Shah Masood scoring hundreds in public mm-hmm. chasing down three seven two. Um, Abdullah Shafiq in, in the last uh, in this just series just gone past both mm. of those were spectacular four innings chases and uh, yeah there's there's yeah there's there's a ton of very compelling Sri Lanka Pakistan cricket I gotta go look at your match report for the for that test match you were talking about the one with the the everything packed in on day five I've got to check that out yeah um, that sounds fascinating um. I don't remember it as clearly as you clearly. Um, yeah. So I, I think you've already mentioned a little bit about, you know, World Cup 96, you know, the, one of the biggest, if not the biggest moment in Sri Lankan cricket history, um, which also took place in Pakistan, in Lahore. Um, you know, you wrote uh, a brilliant article recently in uh, Cricket Monthly, Cricket Info's Cricket Monthly about that victory. You know, there's a lot of fascinating stuff in there. So people who haven't read it should go read it. Um, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how much of an un- unlikely victory that was. I don't think I, I grasped it until I read your your piece. Yeah, I mean, it was... Um, Sri Lankan cricket was kind of on its way up, but hadn't won... Hadn't really had many good victories at World Cups. You know, they were, they'd been knocked out at the group stage at every single World Cup. World Cup before then mm-hmm. hadn't really got close to making it past the stage to be honest you know um, and they also were you know while they had some form heading into that World Cup they had won a tournament in Sharjah in 95 um, that is you know that's like a that's not the same as winning a World Cup you know? mm-hmm. it's, it's a whole different thing they they just about managed to, to string together some good victories um, and didn't really have a history of chasing very well, didn't mm. have a history of taking a lot of wickets, um, weren't, you know, weren't, they were kind of a team to watch out for, but I wouldn't even put them in the dark horse category for that World Cup. 
Mm. Uh, because of how little they've won in the, pre- in the previous four years. So given all of that, and also given the fact that, you know, the country's still at war and there's, uh, there's all sorts of domestic subplots happening. Um, and, and also they were, they were trying something incredibly, it was hyper-aggressive and kind of revolutionary at the time, which is putting two aggressive openings together and just giving mm-hmm. them the mandate, just giving them the license to go and, go and smash it, right? So, um, but the thing is that they were so far behind these other teams that they had to try something crazy. Mm-hmm. And then it came off, you know, mainly through Jai Surya, who again is someone who didn't have a good record at opener before that tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, he was a very modest opener, um, Jai Surya, before that tournament. I think he, he opened in, in Australia in the series before, and Kalutarna, who was, um, you know, outscored him substantially. Uh, so, you know, there's no reason why they would go into that and think that it would work, mm-hmm. uh, but it did. And uh, and then they just kept winning, you know, like to go through a tournament undefeated the way they did was, you know, is almost unthinkable. And for them to, for them to kind of have, to be full of the kind of confidence that, you know, that they, they went into the final, for example, and uh, they had won the previous match betting first, but had largely had, you know, better luck chasing. Mm-hmm. And um, no team had ever, ever won a final, a World Cup final at that stage, being the chasing side. And Imran Khan had warned Arjun Ranthunga about this. He said, you know, no, one, no teams have won it. You should chase. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, should, you should bet first, so you should put a score on the board. Uh, and Ranatunga had uh, had said, no, you know, essentially they were full, so full of confidence that they, and even Aravinda De Silva, who was one of them, who was the best batter of the team, uh, had wanted to bat first. But Ranatunga was so full of confidence about what Sri Lanka could achieve mm-hmm. that he went out there and he, and he did what he did upon winning the toss and, and chased. Um, so, in many ways, it's just, it was a perfect storm. You know, they, a lot of things had to come right. They had to get the right coaches involved. Um, the right players hit form at the right time. And uh, and then they also had, I remember the Silva really just batting at his absolute best, taking them through the back end of that, that tournament mm-hmm. because he was, you know, he, while Sanan Jasri probably made more waves and is more remembered for that tournament. I mean, the December definitely hits the better innings, you know. So, uh, yeah. You've kind of answered my next question about Imran Khan, but I, I was just going to ask you about, you know, how, what did the what did it do for some of the players, you know, in terms of changing their lives? Because I think I remember you mentioning some of the players and, you know, maybe not even having the right materials and not even having enough money to, to buy the right, you know, equipment, et cetera. And then, you know, this must have changed so many players' lives, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Sri Lanka was essentially a semi-professional team mm-hmm. at the time. You know, there were some some players like Arvind the, who were making it, you know, who were playing county and, and making money from just their cricket. But many others would have to work uh, work regular jobs through part of the year to be able to afford to play cricket. And so uh, that completely changed after 96 when it became a fully professional outfit. Uh, and you know, for for players like so, someone like Sanandar Surya, it changed his life completely. From being you know pretty, from someone from very modest backgrounds in the south, to 
becoming this huge superstar in Sri Lanka and, you know, getting all these sponsorships and, and, uh, and suddenly becoming a globally recognized figure. That completely changed the trajectory of Sri Lanka cricket um, and, and brought so much more money into the system here. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, that continues to, I think most players now, even now who come on, um, are very grateful for what happened in that. It was such a, it was such a sharp turn, um, in, in the history of cricket in the country. It was just, it was something that people enjoyed, but then it became uh, a kind of a national obsession on a whole new level Mm. after 96. And, uh, and yeah, it just, it, it also kind of at a time when Sri Lankan, the Sri Lankan public kind of needed that during the war, it allowed, it, it kind of made Sri Lanka world-class at something, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it gave Sri Lankans a lot of pride, even, even for example, like Northerners who were not necessarily on, you know, who were very critical or wanting to break away from the Sri Lankan state mm-hmm. politically, um, even some of them were kind of like took heart from what had happened in 96. So, uh, yeah, it, you know, it's kind of like speaks to, you know, sports ability to, or cricket's ability to, uh, if not unite, then at least kind of like bring joy at a more profound level than, than you anticipate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was kind of like not just for the Sri Lankan cricket team, but for the country, it was it was a landmark moment. A lot of people remember it as such. Yeah, and I highly recommend listeners check that article out. Um, it's you know there's so much more in there than you know we don't have time to to go into all of it. Um, so you know we will be getting to the to the so one last detour question before we get to the test series itself uh, that you covered. Um, you know, you tweeted something about the coverage of the Australia tour, uh, you know, to Pakistan earlier this year, uh, you know, and I thought it was, you know, quite important. Um, you know, if, if you don't mind me quoting you, you said, man, I'm wondering what I must have covered in late 2019, since only today marks the return of test cricket in Pakistan. Uh, you have an emoji, which I'm not very good at describing. So I'll leave the emoji out. <laughs> Could you tell the listeners, you know, what, what you meant by that? Um, I think, yeah, that was on the first day of the Pakistan Australia series. Um, and I think it was just, it was very tongue in cheek. I was just taking, mainly taking the piss. Um, it was, it was about the Australia series kind of being described as this historic moment in cricket where, you know, Test Group was, was finally returned to Pakistan. But of course, there had been other teams that had visited and played Test cricket in Australia, in Pakistan, before Australia finally returned. So it was just kind of taking a jab at the way in which uh, some, I think perhaps there was there was some overstating of, uh, I felt there was some overstating of the importance of, uh, or the historic nature of that tour, mm-hmm. um, when other teams had been there first and kind of, you know, it, it had been fine. So... Uh, yeah, that was just basically what it was. I I take the piss a lot on Twitter, and I should not be taking it <laughs> seriously. Enough. No, I thought so, it was. 
I thought it was funny. It was also, it's funny because when you said that, I actually genuinely was thinking, you know, when all these like, oh, you know, being in Pakistan, which is great. You know, I enjoyed a lot of the writing that people had yes. about Australia. Yeah. But I was thinking, wait, I think I read something similar a few years ago from <laughs> Fidel. Uh, so like, wait a minute. Like, yeah. Uh, so not that they were copying you in the sense that, you know, that you're no, 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 yeah. a lot of the similar narratives, similar feeling. Yeah. I know yeah. you were just kidding. I, just, I, I couldn't help asking yeah. about it. Uh, yeah. Um, finally getting to the tour, um, you know, I was wondering, boring question to start with, you know, was, I was wondering if you thought, um, you know, that it panned out the way it would, or, you know, were you surprised by it? What, what was your reaction to it in the end? Um, I, I think they are, you know, they're very evenly matched teams and, uh, they have right now they have, uh, contrast and strengths on the bowling department, right? I don't think Pakistan, Pakistan's like spin bowling is is you know particularly good, nope. and at gold you need that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sri Lanka are perhaps finding a spin attack. Um, I wouldn't say that they're particularly good either. Like we, we saw that in the first test when they couldn't defend three forty two in the the second innings, mm-hmm. but uh, but they at least have someone like Prabhat Jaisuri who. Mm-hmm. I think they could work with mm-hmm. um, and Ramesh Mendes as well who when he gets it right can be can be quite good um, I think yeah it's uh, and the other thing is also their batting orders have slightly con- you know, I think Sri Lanka's batting order is a little bit more settled a little bit more a uh, little bit more uh, even in some mm-hmm. ways there's no like of the, you know, in Pakistan, you have Barbara Azam, who's obviously the superstar in the, in the mm-hmm. top order. And you've got Abdullah Shafiq, who's just on this incredibly hot run of form. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, you know, while you know, Fawad Alam had a good year, a good year last year, but keeps getting dropped for some reason. Uh. Or keeps, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh. Uh, and then, and then there's, you know, uh, there are others who are probably not as consistent. Uh, whereas I think Sri Lanka, you know, generally have built up over the last couple of years a top order that, um, of which, you know, Dimitaratha seems to still be the linchpin, you know, when he gets a 40, when he gets a 50, mm-hmm. then the whole kind of, the whole batting order seems to do a lot better than when he gets out for, you know, 10 or, or, or 20. But so long as the Open has put up something decent, the middle order seems to come in and contribute. So... Uh, whereas I think in Pakistan, there are two kind of like, right now, there are two players that you need to get out. If you get them out, point, you, yeah. you, go through, you go you go a long way towards keeping it very quiet. Mm. So um, so I think they're, they're kind of evenly matched teams. For, for I mean, there's no one in the Sri Lankan top order that's as good as Barber. Um, and no one on its hotter run of form as Abdullah Shafiq. But, uh, but there, are, there are contributors right through the top seven. Um, and and yeah, it's it, it was it was a fascinating series. Um, I think the fact that you know if the second test had been at a bouncier venue, say like the Pisara Oval in Colombo, uh, you know Sri Lanka would have been in trouble. But because it was a goal where you know and their spinners got it right in the second test, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. they were able to kind of like put a lot of pressure on, on Pakistan, and and their batters got it right too. I mean, I think they batted badly that first innings in the first test. Um, yeah, it was, I, I think 
it you know one all definitely was a fair result. They mm-hmm. are absolutely they are even, they are evenly matched teams, and we saw that in Pakistan to some extent too. You know they were um, while you know Pakistan won in Karachi, it wasn't as if Sri Lanka were kind of like blown out of. There were kind of key moments that they missed out on. Mm-hmm. Um, this is back in 2019, and I think Sri Lanka are a better team now than they were then. Um, yeah, it was a it was it was. It was one of the, lo- the more low key suits, you know. We, um, apart from that incredible fourth innings chase, um, there wasn't many kind of high octane kind of moments. Um, I would have liked to see that fourth innings chase. It would have been lovely to see, you know, a, f- a couple more wickets go down and really calm down for a while. <laughs> we didn't quite see that. Um, Sri Lanka also caught poorly in that match, so in that in that innings. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it was, I mean, as always, it was. It was also very, very fun to watch Nassim Shah particularly bowling this series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just um, just all heart through some of those, like some of those really difficult spells in bowl. You know, where it's incredibly hot and there's nothing for you on the pitch, and he just comes in and and really did a good job of rattling batters. I think he deserved more wickets than he got, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and. I think he was probably my favorite thing to watch from the Pakistan, from the Pakistan team. Oh, excellent. Um, you know, two Sri Lankan uh, cricketers, uh, you know, who got a lot of attention uh, for different reasons uh, on this tour uh, were Chandimal and Angelo Matthews. Um, you've written some excellent pieces on them. I, I really love the Angelo Matthews piece in particular. I was wondering if you could talk about them uh, and this, you know, maybe off, but something I'm wondering is whether you know, their careers tell us a story about what, you know, Sri Lanka team has gone through since the end of the Jayawardena Sangakara era. Yeah, I think both their careers do for, for different reasons. I think, you know, both of them have been captains in the past and uh, both of them have, uh, both of them have had, you know, times in their career where they were expected to be the next great Sri Lankan better, you know, like, they're expected to be the, the next 50 plus averaging, you know, 30 hundreds, wins a lot of tests, mm-hmm. scores a lot of ODI runs, um, that kind of, you know, probably the, not quite the expectations that there are there on Barber right now, but not too far off. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and neither of them have lived up to that. And they've both been through periods where they played really, really spectacular innings. Like, you know, they both are, are players that have very high ceilings, as we've seen um, in their in their best innings. But uh, but have also gone through like you know absolutely haunting dips of form as well. Mm. Um, Matthews has had an injury issue, which is um, you know because he, he's bowled so much as well. Yeah. Um, and he probably overbowled himself a lot as captain as well, which, and, you know, his captaincy was fraught with all sorts of difficulties because while he was a performing batsman, like he, you know, Sri Lanka tended to do well, but when he didn't perform, his captaincy was quite modest and, you know, he, he'd kind of get a lot of flack for that. Um, and, and, but there was no one really kind of like, you know, to take his place. And, uh, and yeah, Chandimal has been in and out of the team. And, you know, at one stage he was captain and then not only did he get dropped as captain, he got cut from the team entirely. 
This is in 2019. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they, 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 both come, they both come to this stage with like quite substantial trauma in, in their past. You know, they've both had battles with administrators. They've had battles with captains. They've, um, they've had very, you know, uh, Angela Matthews has been at all out war with a coach once that same coach was the one who backed Chandimal to the hilt. Um, there's all sorts of, um, you know, uh, history there between not just, yeah, between them and their, their, their surroundings and also between them, you know, between each other. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to watch them at this stage of their career where they'll never, neither of them will ever be captain again. Uh, so they've stopped hoping they've stopped kind of like, mm-hmm. I think Matthews had stopped wanting that for a long time ago. I think there's probably a small part of Chandimal who still wants that, but, um, but he's, I don't think he's going to get it. He's to some extent he's a, resigned to his fate. Um, and them just being like elder statesmen after having had such, had such difficult histories and difficult ways of, uh, difficult paths to this stage. Um, it's something that, you know, like I think uh, is common in, in in South Asian kind of cricket teams, but also particularly in Pakistan and Sri Lanka. You know, these kinds of stories of like, you know, the, the selectors change and suddenly they don't like this guy and yeah. they bring in this guy and and then and then that guy in, inexplicably does incredibly well <laughs> for like six months. And the old guy gets forgotten about, but eventually builds up some domestic form and comes back into the team when the selection switches again. You know, these are these are all kind of uh, narratives that we're familiar with as Sri Lankan and Pakistani cricket fans. <laughs> and both Chandimal and, and and Matthews, Matthews perhaps to less of, a, of an extent, uh, because he's he's been a mainstay of the Test team. Whatever else is happening in his ODI. Uh, in his ODI and limited overs cricket, he's been a mainstay of the Test team. Chandimal mm-hmm. hasn't even had that, so uh, he's had a. And now you know he's just had uh, any like this series of uh, incredible form. You know, Chandimal's mm-hmm. been in the form of his life over the last couple of months, and now Sri Lanka don't play Tests for the next seven months, which is like a perfectly Chandimal thing to happen. <laughs> you know, he's in the form of his life, Poor and guy. he doesn't get to capitalize <laughs> on it. Um, and he doesn't play one day as or T20s, and nor should he, to be honest. Like, nor should he or Angelo should not be picked in the T20 one day teams. Mm-hmm. But I feel very sorry for them that they're not going to get to play play any Test cricket because, you know, Chandimal particularly is in such good form. It would have been would be nice for him to capitalize on that. Yeah, thank you. I've, I've I've always been a huge fan of both, particularly Matthews. So reading your piece was great. Also, just reminded me, and I think should remind people how amazing his start of his career was. Like. Yeah, I think I think it's very easy to forget that now, um, yeah. even if he's doing quite well now. But it's his start was spectacular. Um, yeah, and I might combine the next two questions to, because I don't also don't want to take too much of your time. I know you're busy. Um, you know, I'm curious where you see the Sri Lankan team right now, and and just a, and a broader question about you know you know there's a lot of talk of the big three and how there's a consolidation of money and power and in many ways, uh, position in the global hierarchy and performances which connect to that. And where, you know, Sri Lanka, South Africa, Pakistan, you know, there's a, there was a lot of talk very recently about Sri Lanka and South Africa. You know, people are saying, you know, are they ever going to come back to where they once were? And there's been some green shoots recently for both teams. And so I'm kind of curious yeah. about if you could answer these yeah. two questions. Yeah. 
I'll answer about the the Sri Lanka team today. I think they're in a better place than they they were a couple of years ago. There's, you know, Dimuth Karanatna, the, the the captain, has um has kind of steadied the Test team quite well. I would give him a lot of credit for doing that. He's kind of a very very affable. You know, he's the kind of person that no one will ever have you know an issue with. Like he's you know he'll be friends with everyone. He's just he just he just gets on with what he needs to do mm-hmm. and doesn't play any kind of manipulative games and just just you know just does what is required of him and is uh, just a massive cricket nerd on top of it so um, I think people like that kind of like steadying influence and it's not not the kind of character who get too excited or too down based on on, on results so he's been a great setting influence on the test team and, and the one day and T20 team seem to be doing much better as well. Thanks in part to kind of the emergence of someone like Wani Basaranga mm. who become like an out and out mesh winner in, in those Amazing. formats. Um, and so I think the, the team that the, yeah, on the cricketing outlook, Sri Lanka look a lot better right now. They're number three on, on the, the, the world test championship chart. They're not going to stay there. Um, but, like at some point, you know, being a mid-table team in the World Test Championship is actually kind of a win for Sri Lanka right now. After the couple of after the five years they've had, um, that's that's a pretty good spot to be in. As long as they're top six, you know, Ravi Shastri won't yeah. cut, cut us. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. As long as we're above the the Shastri guillotine <laughs> line. Um, so yeah, that, that's I think the team's doing a lot better. I think what is sad is. Um, is that they're probably going to end up playing a lot less test cricket over the next few years. Mm. Um, Sri Lankan cricket doesn't really have a vision for growing the game domestically. And they don't, you know, they never really tried. And it's not, it's not something that they're even capable of given like their general capacity for doing things, you know, um, I'm being very critical of the SLC here, but also I've seen the way they operate and I have very little, <laughs> I have very little hope that there's like, you know, I have, I have very little faith in the competence in that organization, let's say, okay. um, overall. Um, so because of that, and also because the way that cricket operates now, the big three uh, can play tests against each other often and have domestic markets that, uh, that will watch test cricket and, and, and those things will be, uh, those things will be profitable for them. They will play a lot of test cricket. They will play the majority of test cricket. And Sri Lanka, teams like Sri Lanka, it'll be a long, you know, for example, for Sri Lanka to play a three-match series, even against a big three team, it's going to be a rarity. Mm. Pakistan is different because Pakistan does have a domestic market. Um, But Sri Lanka, a country of 22 million, doesn't really have a domestic market. Mm. That's a needle. Uh, They're not, and, and, Combine that with a board that's uninterested in promoting test cricket as this kind of like premier product. Um, combine those two things, Sri Lanka is not really going to be showing that test cricket looks like it's not. It's not going to die off, but it's going to die as something of a death. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to it's going to decline. I think the next FTP cycle, I think it's about six tests per year that they play, which is quite low. You know, I think if you're a serious test nation, you should be playing ten. Yeah. Um, six is just not enough. And um, uh, yeah, so I think I think Pakistan and Sri Lanka are slightly different boats for that reason. I think Pakistan, even against India, England, and Australia, well, okay, they don't play India, so that's a, but against <laughs> England and Australia at least, 
they will play a decent amount of tests. And perhaps if the if this Pakistan South Africa series makes sense, they'll play three tests there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see any opponents jumping up and down to play three tests against Sri Lanka. Um, mm-hmm. Sri Lanka, you know, they have they'll have to be some serious arm twisting going on for that to happen. Um, so yeah, for for that reason, it's it seems yeah, Sri Lanka's test cricket does seem to be deprioritized. Perhaps they will pick up some extra matches against kind of you know teams like Bangladesh and who who are always looking for Test cricket, who are in the same boat. You know, New Zealand perhaps might pick up an extra extra match, but uh, but it's not. Boards are never going to be that keen on that because Test cricket loses them money ultimately, mm-hmm. um, and it's not. Yeah, it, it's it just doesn't make sense for them. So yeah, I, I think that's. That's how I feel about that. That's just, it's just, I'm, I think everyone's kind of resigned to their fate at this stage mm-hmm. when it comes to cricket scheduling. Um, you know, Australia, England, um, and India will play five match series and they will, everyone else will play two match series. That's, that's, that's how it will be. Um, I was going to ask you one more question if you have just a little bit of time. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was going to end it there, but then I was like, oh, that's a really, Sad note to leave it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel bad, but uh, just five more minutes just to end it slightly more positive. I feel bad. I've ruined your morning. Um, I, I was, oh yeah, afternoon actually. It's my morning. Um, I was wondering if, you know, you talked a little bit about Babur and Shafiq and, you know, you've written about, you know, their innings as well. So I was, I, I'll let you pick which one you want to talk about, but I'm curious, you know, what, what stood out for you? Was it something, you know, was it Shafiq or Babur, you know, seeing them up close um, that stuck out to you this, this series? Yeah, I mean, Barber I'd watched before. Um, and I mean, like with, with Barber is that he's... The thing that they both share is that they trust their defense a lot, right? Even on a track that uh, was turning a lot, was, you know, especially in that first test, the, the pitch was really doing a crazy amount and that can spook a lot of particularly overseas batters. And in Pakistan, you don't get these kinds of tracks, right? Like, you don't get tracks that turn quite this much. No. Um, um, and and to see them both just trust their games uh, was pretty spectacular, even more than many of the Sri Lanka batters did. You know, where I think where I think they they kind of diverge is that Barber has every gear, and Shafiq has like up to gear three. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. uh, and Shafiq's got like really good up to third gear in a test match setting, or at least that's what we saw in this series. Um, Barber, if he wants to, he can take apart virtually any bowler. Mm-hmm. And if he wants to target someone and get them out of the attack, then he will do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he will, and he will, he, he just has so much command over what he's doing that he's, uh, he's able to make calculated strikes about, against, you know, whichever bowler you throw at him. Uh, whereas I think Shafiq plays the percentage game a lot more because he has a more, you know, he has he is, doesn't have the kind of gifts that Barber does, mm-hmm. um, and but he does them relentlessly and he does them with incredible concentration. You know the, that innings he played, uh, I think it was over four hundred balls. So last four hundred balls on a fourth and fifth day in ball is insane. Like yeah. that is that is incredible betting, and that. That application by itself is just out of this world. So, 
uh, that is where I think Shafiq really shone in that last series. Barber, we already know about. Yeah. Like, you know, Barber can do Barber or something. It's like, that's, that's fine. But Shafiq doing what he did was, uh, was probably more of the revelation. Um, we're not going to put him on the, you know, obviously he doesn't have the talent, but he has, but application in test cricket is also like something of, a, a, it's a huge rarity nowadays, you know, like mm-hmm. very few batters bat 400 balls. And very few batters bat 400 balls on a dust ball, you know? Yeah. Um, that is, that pretty much never happens. So um, I think that, you know, that was, that was a special innings for that reason. That it's, it's such a, it's such an unusual thing to happen in, in test cricket right now. Um, and yes, Sri Lanka's attack is inexperienced. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not as if, you know, he was up against a world-class opposition. But still, on a on a pitch like that, even I would kind of fancy myself getting a test wicket, <laughs> um, and I'm not. I'm really not very good. So, uh, so yeah, I think I think that's what I mean. That's what I. But I think still, the the Pakistan player, I, I love watching the most is Nassim, particularly in that session, second test. He was absolutely phenomenal. Thank you so much, uh, Fidel. I know you know you're really busy and there's a lot going on. So I really appreciate you giving me an hour, no just over an hour. Um, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Before I finish, I just want to say thank you to Dikobe for letting me use his music. You can donate to my Patreon page if you would like to help me in continuing to do these podcasts. Links with information about the guests, the music, and the Patreon page can be found in the podcast description. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.